What is up, boys and girls? Welcome back to yet another episode of the What You Think Podcast. As always, I'm your host. My name is Brandon, and beside me is my wife and co-host. Abby. Nailed it. Crushed it. Wrap it up. <laughs> episode 32 in the books. I think 30, 32 or 33. Already? Yeah. Anyway, we've got five movies to talk about this week. And it's only been like four days since our last podcast. We've been busy. Yeah. I don't know when this is actually going to go up, but yes, we've watched quite a few movies. It's been awesome. So, we are just going to run through them. No big news um, in the world of movies, at least, that I think you wouldn't already know about. Obviously, there's a lot of big trailers out right now, um, but nothing kind of indie or horror or obscure news. So, we're going to talk about Death Race 2050, Sinister 2, the number 23... Handsome Netflix Mystery Movie, which is quite a title, and They Live. A lot of them, but none of them are particularly new. Handsome is, and Death Race 2050 came out at the beginning of the year, but... Yeah, yeah so let's kick it off with uh, Death Race 2050. So this is a 90-minute action comedy movie, um... And basically, in the year 2050, the planet's overpopulated, and to control population, the government has something called a death race, um, which they go across the country killing people to get points. Um, and it's kind of like idiocracy, in a way, of, like, the overpopulation is run rampant and people are stupid and stuff, which is weird because this is a sequel to Death Race, which is the movie about prisoners with jason statham that was really good jason statham so i don't know what the the curvature was that this became you know i don't know so what did you think i believe it's by the same director though really yes it's the guy who directed hard candy though really i know that anyway what i think i liked it actually um I don't really like satire comedies, but this movie, like, I'm not a big fan of Idiocracy. Like, it's okay, but it doesn't, like, really hold my attention. But I liked Death Race 2050 a lot. I think it is, it has just the right kind of satire with the Trump America that we're living in. Um, they even sort of liken the president to... Donald Trump kind of looks similar kind of thing. Um, I don't know. I think it's a very well-released movie. Um, In terms of it, its production value is definitely supposed to be a B-rated movie, but as far as B-rated movies go, it's really good. The the action is, like, really hard-hitting, and... I don't know, it's, the gore is, like, comical, you know, but it, it still has some good bloody moments in it. Yeah, it's, it very much feels kind of like Sharknado. Yeah. Like, in that realm of movies, where you're only watching it because you know it's dopey and stupid. Yeah. Um, but, going in, not expecting anything, because it's stupid, it's actually not bad at all. No. It's, it's a very interesting, um... It's a very interesting kind of mindless thing to put on and watch while you're laying down or doing whatever, you know? Right. Um, 
I mean, I don't have a whole lot to add to this other than the fact that it's it's definitely unique. I like the editing a lot. They clip out, um, like when they're driving the cars, they clip out a little tiny bit of the middle portion and then like fuse the clips together so it makes the cars seem weird and like sci-fi-y. Yeah, um, there's a lot of really cool futuristic effects like the death race drivers have i don't know what they're calling them kind of like a proxy i guess there's someone that sits in the car with them and they have these headsets on um that was pretty cool there's a ai car in it named abe he's probably the best part he becomes sentient during the movie and (laughs) starts questioning his life that's that's great so i mean it's pretty cool yeah but this this is in no way like a serious movie like their future tech is ridiculous. It's, you know what I mean? It's just like, it's like garbage that's been put together to kind of sell as being technology in this, you know, yeah. future world, I guess. But it's super interesting. Um, and like I said, it, it's definitely a good background B movie. Um, so it's got a 3.6 out of 10 on IMDb, and it actually doesn't have a Metacritic score. Um, Rotten Tomatoes, it has 100%, though, so I'm not sure what's going on. Is that, like, a glitch? I know we don't do Rotten Tomatoes, but I'm just saying, like, that's weird to me. I don't know. That is weird. But would, what do you think? What would you rate it? A 4 out of 10. I'd give it a 3.5, I guess. So I think that's probably right about right about it. Um, but, yeah, it's 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 a dopey, stupid movie. It's, it's in the vein of Sharknado, Idiocracy, you know, stuff like that. Um, but it's cool. I mean... Mm-hmm. It's cool seeing some of the the weird set design and some of the weird things they put together to make the vehicles and the costumes and it's just dopey. It's good fun. Um, and moving on, which is also good fun, Sinister Two. Um, so before we talk about Sinister Two, Sinister One. <laughs> I have a lot of feelings about Sinister One. Give us a quick rundown. About the plot? About your feelings for Sinister. All right. Well, Sinister, the original Sinister movie, I still can't watch it to this day. And I've watched it again since the first time I've seen it. So this isn't like, oh, when you first watched it, you were young and you were scared shitless of it. I'm still scared shitless of the first Sinister. It's one of the scariest movies, in my opinion. Um, The first time that I watched it, like, I've never had a reaction to a movie quite like it before. It came out in 2012. So I was... A freshman in college in 2012 so I wasn't like young um I just never had such like a visceral reaction to a horror movie like that The Conjuring came really close but Sinister is like the scariest movie to me and basically it's about this writer guy Ethan Hawke um who moves his family into this murder house and it's the house that he's kind of researching for his current book and then some creepy stuff happens the um the entity in the movie is the boogeyman so it's very like children centric and it has a lot of found footage that's the creepiest part in it um i don't know and ethan hawk is just a great actor and i love ethan hawk so yeah the original sinister is really really good i think in part to ethan hawk being in it um mm-hmm. and it was a unique concept at the time and it was just it was very unique and interesting and, and fun. I mean, it's terrifying, but it was a fun watch as well. Um, and so Sinister 2 is, you know, a little over 90 minutes. It just came out. It's a horror horror movie as well. It came out in 2015. It didn't just come out. Yeah, I don't know why I said it just came out. But anyway, <laughs> it, it came out in 2015. And it follows a young mother and her twin sons who move into a rural house um, that basically 
flows into the whole sinister backstory. Yes. So this, you do need to see the first one, I think. I think is incredibly important. Yeah, they reference things from the first one. There's reoccurring characters. Actually, the main male character, Deputy So-and-so is what they call him. He is from the first movie. He helps out Ethan Hawke in the first movie. Um, There is, I can't think of his name. He's a professor of some sort. He is in the first movie. Mm -hmm. Makes a reoccurrence in this one. So there's characters that... um, show up again and that are the main focus of this movie. So that's cool because usually in horror movie sequels like this, you'll get totally unrelated characters and people. But this is cool because it sort of picks up after the first Sinister with the same people who are left alive from the first one. Yeah, and it's it's a, it's a nice continuation and, and sequel to what's presented in Sinister, but it's not in the same vein. It's yeah. not more of you know the conjuring 2 for example felt like just more of mm-hmm. and that's not necessarily bad but in in this you know instance for example it's really interesting to see a different dynamic and get more information about the or the antagonist in the original yes it, it's just an interesting kind of thing um so Sinister 2, I guess, is... You can see it when you're in the movie, but the, it has, like, a Children of the Corn vibe. It was inspired by Stephen King, so that's cool. I figured that they were going for something like that, but I didn't know it was, like, directly related. Yeah, it, it, it definitely felt like Children mm-hmm. of the Corn. Um, yeah, I mean, do you have a whole lot to add to Sinister 2? Well, you didn't ask me the question. You just I asked didn't. me about. Oh my goodness. You just asked me about Sinister 1, and oh I've just goodness. been going on and on. What'd you think? Um, kind of disappointing, actually. But with that... Kind of slow. With that being said, I've hyped up the first Sinister so much that you can't really go back from it. Like, just like with The Conjuring. I love The Conjuring so much. It was so scary and fresh and interesting for me that Conjuring 2 was never going to live up to it. And that's well, the same way with Sinister. Sidebar, Conjuring 2 pissed me off so much because I know in the first Conjuring there's like... The first haunted place, and then the rest of the movies at the second location. But they showed us fucking Amityville, which we all know is probably a hoax. The house actually has some issues, yada, yada, yada. Whatever. Most of the, the stuff was fake mm-hmm. in Amityville. But the fucking opening shot of Conjuring 2 with Amityville was some of nice gum pop. Mm-hmm. Also, you have chocolate on your lip. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, the opening shot in Conjuring 2 was amazing. I've never wanted... An Amityville case in, you know, this intently until I saw it presented in that manner with the Warrens. And then they go on and give me Enfield, which has been very, very highly talked about as probably being fake. Well, as you said, though, Amityville is also fake. Yeah. It just feels like Amityville's more interesting. And it's Americanized. That's why. (sighs) Probably. Fuck Enfield. I, I mean, I liked The Conjuring, too, just to go off on a tangent here. But like I said, I mean, it's not going to ever live up to the first Conjuring. Exactly. And they know it. Yeah. And they try to do something different and interesting with it, which... And we talked about it when we reviewed the second Conjuring, too. They just are bringing too much... And I love Ed and Lorraine Warren, but it's like, oh, let me have this whole Elvis thing in here where Ed sings Elvis for four minutes and it's really uncomfortable. And yeah. you have to have moments like that to detract deter- from the scary parts of the movie but the movie overall was more cheap jump scary than anything else while the first one was really like in your face and 
I know we've already talked about The Conjuring too, mm-hmm. but it was also like, like the most important aspects of that case were fake. So it really ruins the Warrens' credibility, and then it makes you care less about them and their real life counterparts. And I think that can be tied back to this though with Sinister and Sinister Two, is Sinister Two just feels like a bunch of cheap shots trying to be Sinister One. And I love the storyline. I think it's really hard to do boogeyman stories. And Bagul is one of the creepiest boogeymen in modern horror, I think. So, and you get more Bagul lore in this. And actually, the guy who plays him has that on his license plate, which I think is hilarious. Um, But you don't get a whole lot of creepy boogeyman things in this. And I think that what was so cool about Sinister is that it was just enough mystery and there wasn't a lot of lore in it that you were left wondering and putting pieces together and you knew it was about children and this creepy thing and that was it. So Sinister 2, I do love the backstory that you get from it. It really makes things like make more sense, but it's just not the same because we already know Sinister. So Sinister 2 is never going to be as good. Yeah, and like you said, it's it's very much like one shots trying to be interesting. And so the movie's 97 minutes and i would say 50 of those minutes are trying to set up the arc of what is going to happen and then when it finally does happen it's not how you expected it and not in like a good twist way but like in a oh okay whatever yeah and not like i said before i really think i like the o2 children of the corn but it's very focused on these children that aren't real human kids in this movie and that's weird and there's this abusive father thing and the the main actress the mom she is the woman from wrist cutters i think her what's her name shannon soyamoto is shannon sasamoto sasamon sasamon she's from wrist cutters she's a great actress and the two boys the twins they are twin brothers in real life too so that's pretty cool um but I don't know. The children aspect seems... The demon children of the corn aspect seems too forced. The abusive father thing seems too forced. And then they're shoving this romance between was, the, the deputy yeah. and the mom. And it's just like, it's too like much. I feel like there were way too many cooks in the kitchen, like metaphorically, with the writing of this. Yeah. Because, like, I don't know. We all expected the Sinister Two thing to have the, the Bagul or whatever as a really interesting villain. We only see him maybe twice in this. But they reference him. He's going to be so mad if you don't it's do just, this. It's like, it's really disappointing. It almost feels like Ouija and Ouija 2, but in reverse. Yeah. Where the second one is fucking trash. Yeah. And what was the scariest about Sinister, the original, was the quote-unquote found footage, the film reels that the children make. Those were the scariest parts about that. And... I think the people who made it know that. So Sinister 2 comes around, it just makes sense to put more of those in. and But you're not invested. Yeah, and you, it feels desensitized after a point because, like you said, you're not invested. You don't know these people. And while there are some brutal deaths that happen, it's just you're seeing brutal death after brutal death, and it doesn't have the same impact and, as when in Sinister 1 you get it and it's, like, all there. And And just without spoiling anything, I do want to talk about briefly how... If I'm showing you a video and it's really fucked up, if I'm excited or if I've seen it, like if I'm privy to this, 
it's not going to have the same effect to a third person watching us as it would if you find it yourself. Yeah. Think about how Ethan Hawke finds these in his home. They shouldn't be there. They're weird. It's an outdated format. He watches it. Like, there's all these different... And he keeps them hidden. It's all this shit that adds up to this culmination of, like, creep. And that's that's the problem with horror. And I don't want to go down this, this, tra- this trail, but we always do. There's not enough suspense. They went from giving us great suspense, not a lot of jump scares, you know, but when they did in, in the first one, they were earned. You know, there was a ton of suspense, a buildup with the tapes and the weirdness. And in this one, it almost feels like they're like, okay, uh, so here's everything that worked in the first one, but let's cut out all the reasons it did work and all the buildup. And we'll just hit them over and over and over with the yeah. punches. Like, this isn't spoiling, any, spoiling anything because I said there's two boys in this. Right off the bat, they talk about how they can see the children there. And they're not in the least bit. These aren't, like, small children. They're not teenagers, but they have to be, like, 11 or something. Yeah, they're probably like, about 11. Like, right off the bat, like, they're not... one One's having nightmares and that's it. But they're like, oh, yeah, I see them too. And that's it. And they just totally accept this. Like... That's just weird to me. Just the whole setup of how they're making it work is weird for me. This felt like the third or fourth film in a horror series. To where it's like, it's so drawn out that you're like, okay, whatever. But it's like they jumped the gun on making a bad one. Yeah. (laughs) So, I doubt we'll see a third one. But actually, with... But, I mean, this, the first one came out in 2012, the second one came out in 2015, so we're at the point where Sinister 3 would this have year to be. This year and next. But I just don't feel like it lives up. No. Um, I want to go so back and watch Sinister 1 so that the we, series is see, that's scared the, to That's the funny like, thing is, like, again. I have it on Blu-ray. It's a good movie. Like, it, it's one of those mainstream horror films, but it's still a good one. Well, I think, like... 2009 to 2013 was the golden like era for modern horror yeah the the like mainstream um like halloween like era you know what i mean not halloween the series but halloween like time when you could expect three blockbuster horror movies um but anywho overall um it's got a 5.3 out of 10 on imdb and a 32 metacritic which is pretty rough um what would you give it but before you do that what would you give Sinister, the original? I would give the original Sinister, I want to give it a 7, but I'll probably give it a 6.5. Really? I was going to give it a 7.5. Okay, I didn't want to rate it too high and you to get mad at well, me. Well, it's it's really good, though. That's the yeah. thing. It's really good. Now, what are you going to give Sinister 2? Okay, so if Sinister 1 is out of, we'll give it a 7. The first Sinister is a 7. Sinister 2 is probably a 4. A 4, yeah. Which sucks, though, because we also give Death Race... Like a three, mm-hmm. but different genres. Yeah, though. exactly. And uh, Death Race was intentionally bad. This wasn't yeah. supposed to be bad. Um, but overall, it is on HBO. If you have HBO now and you've seen the first one, you should watch it. I mean, yeah, you know, there's no point not watching it. But don't expect it to be as great as the first one. So, with that being said, let's move on to another horror movie. I don't know if you want to call this horror. Horror, thriller, something. Uh, The number 23 with Jim Carrey. This is an hour and 41 minute mystery thriller. Um, And it's about how Walter Sparrow becomes obsessed with a novel that he believes was written about him. And as as his obsession increases, more and more similarities arise. So, the age old question. What do you think? 
What did I think? Well, I have yes. a lot of feelings about Jim Carrey, and most of them are good. Oh, God. Fuck, fuck Pete Holmes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I do appreciate it when actors go outside of their preferred area. And, this isn't a comedy. And genre. This isn't a comedy. I appreciate Jim Carrey stepping outside of his comfort zone and going with something serious. But the problem with this is when you have someone who you think of as Ace Ventura with these wacky voices going into a gritty sort of private eye type of voiceover thing is it's just it becomes comical it like went too far to the other end like i didn't realize until just just recently that this is kind of a noir yeah it's that's the that's the overall theme there's what are they vignettes vignettes yeah Yeah. over it and it's it's very yeah i would say it's very like a noir it's about a private investigator that's the side story in it all that stuff um but it just, I found myself wanting, I did like it. I liked it a whole lot, but I wanted a different actor because anytime Jim Carrey was on the screen, I had to hold myself back from laughing because it was just too much. Like he was overacting in not a good way because he was trying to be serious and it just wasn't and that's See, that's the, tr- that's the tricky thing with him is he's, he's, it's hard to tell if it's overacting because every role he's ever been in is a zany character who is over the top yeah and i know how you feel about jim carrey yeah i love him my family big jim carrey fans all of his movies ace ventura uh cable guy i mean everything he's made i've loved honestly i've always been a big no i mean i really like cable guy i know a lot of people say it's like one of his worst movies cable guy is one of my favorite jim carrey movies because it wasn't traditionally a comedy yeah you know what i mean well that's i guess that's what i like but i don't know like like every jim carrey movie i think is good Yes, man was good. No. With Zoe Deschanel. I hate Zoe Deschanel. Yeah, that's two strikes for you. Um, but yeah, I mean, go a little more into what you thought about it. Okay, so we'll get off the Jim Carrey train. I am a huge conspiracy theory nut. Like, I guess I'm not like I'm not a huge conspiracy theorist, but I'm a huge fan of conspiracy I theories. I wish that we hadn't done a movie podcast. Because I still kind of just want to do a conspiracy theory podcast. We can still do a conspiracy How would you guys feel about if we just changed this? Why don't we just do two podcasts? Because then i got to pay another subscription fee and it's a whole thing. <laughs> no. No, this works. Um, so, I, I've i heard of the 23 theory and a lot of it's like Illuminati based and all that good stuff. Um but it was really, I've never, like, really delved into it and read about it. So it was cool to get, they talk about why people are so obsessed with it. Um, the story behind 23, the instances where it adds up, why it has credibility, that kind of thing. And it sucks you in. And that's what's really crazy is you start seeing the stuff, too. And, like, for at least for me, like, for the first couple hours after I watched the movie, I was looking for the number 23 everywhere. I could yeah. find it. So, it sort of rubs off on you. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I really, I like it. And even though, it, Jim Carrey aside, um, I think it would feel a little over the top with any actor because, like, the noir type thing isn't very popular now. And it's supposed to be, gaudy isn't the right word, but it's supposed to be, like, have a little bit of a flair. Um I love mysteries, so this is a good mystery. I didn't expect it. Um, I had, like, some feelings, but nothing... The end result wasn't what I thought it would be going in. 
and there was a lot of cool things. The ending was a little bit ridiculous, but otherwise, I mean, I was I was satisfied with it. Yeah, there's a lot of glaring plot holes. I mean, there's yeah. you can drive a truck through some of the plot holes in this, and in the, not even when you think back in the moment, there were a number of times where I laughed and said that doesn't make sense at all. Yeah. But then you also have to wonder, well, hmm, I don't know how to say this. Um, while you're watching the film, you then have to discern what part of the film it is. Uh, because there's mm-hmm. multiple layers to this. And I, I don't want to spoil it because I think it actually is really good and really interesting and, and different. Um, and it's, it's it's old. I mean, it's it's 10 years old now, but it's it's got that mid-2000s, like, thriller feeling yeah. that, that's so good, and it's hard to pinpoint what that is, but it's so interesting and unique, and it was something that I was thoroughly invested in. You know, we, much to my chagrin, you've you've turned me into somebody who checks their phone as soon as a movie loses my interest. I, I'm I don't, sorry. You know, it's, it's getting harder and harder for me to keep interest in things if there's even one or two mistakes that, you know, kind of bring it down for me. And I was totally engrossed in this and what's going on, how it's going on, finding 23s in the background, you know. I think this is a great movie for anyone who is interested in conspiracies or or weird stuff. And the 23s are in more places than you realize. If you just look up the movie, you'll find a whole list of the 23s. Like in the... In the DVD of it, like, the total runtime, all the numbers add up to 23. Like, well, little special things like the, that. The number one thing that was fascinating to me is Jim Carrey's production company is JC23, but it's been that for years, like, well before this movie what? was a thing. Yeah, so it's it's really crazy, and actually, um, if you look, there's a, a writer by the name of William S. Burroughs, and apparently this is based on his life to an extent. He really kind of led the charge for this obsession with the number 23 um, as a concept and, you know, how it's so prevalent. Um, and a lot of people think just because, you know, two and three are numbers that are simple to find. Yeah. They add together well. You know, it, it's a really simple thing to come to, like Lucky 7 and Unlucky 13, as they talk about in the film. But I think... If you want to delve a little bit more into this, check out William Burroughs. Super, super interesting. And if you actually just look up, like, the 23 theory, there's a lot of really interesting stuff. Yeah, there's a lot about. of good stuff. Um, so, with that being said, I really, really think people should check it out. It's on HBO now. Once again, if you don't have HBO, it's well worth the subscription. If you watch even two or three movies a month, it's paid for itself. So, it's got a 6.4 out of 10 on IMDb. And it does not have a Metacritic score listed on the page. So, what would you give it out of 10? 5.5? Really? Six? I was going to give it 6.5. Okay. Because I really liked it. Even though it, it is very hard to not laugh at some of the weirdness. You know? There's just a lot of plot holes. And in 2007, I mean, I'm sure it was. Well, like I said to my mom, I was like, because we just saw him the other day. And I said, man, we, saw the, the, we watched the number 23 the other day. And she goes, pfft. That movie was crazy. And I remember yeah. her watching it when I was, you know, however old. So she watched it when it came out. So I think especially back then it was a bigger deal. Yeah, and I still, I mean, appreciate it. I'll give it I'll give it a 6 instead of a 5.5. It's just the things that were issues for me were, like, really big issues. Yeah. The ending was just a little too ridiculous, unbelievable kind of thing for me. It so. was a little ludicrous. But, but Logan um, Learman's in it, and he's a hottie. I love uh, 
plot holes. Like, I love finding plot holes you can just drive a truck through. They're just so funny. You really love saying driving a truck Well, because they're just, it's so absurd, some of these. But, there's, um, a, there's an IMDB advertisement for Twin Peaks, and they just have a piece of pie there, and it looks so it looks good. so good. I really want to get caught up on Twin Peaks. No. Because while I was watching the first episode, somebody looked up the entire synopsis of the entire show and told it to me. That was not me. Who was that? I would never do anything you. like that. It was you because your mom goes, Abigail, how dare you? And I shut it off and I've never watched it again. Good. You ruined me. It's supposed to be so good. It's supposed to be a classic. It is no longer April and your calendar is on April. I'm going to wait until next April. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's, it's quicker to go around the loop, okay. as they say. So, let's move on to another mystery. Okay. How do you feel about that? All right. Okay. So, let's talk about something a little unique. Um, Handsome, a Netflix mystery muse. God damn it. I keep wanting to say musical. It's definitely not a musical. No. Um, a Netflix mystery movie came out May 5th of 2017, so it's two days old as of recording of the episode. Um, and it is just under 90 minutes, and it is a comedy mystery movie. So, you want to run down the synopsis? Sure. Gene Handsome is Who is a, played by Jeff Garland. My favorite guy ever. Um is an L.A. homicide detective who tries to make sense of his life as he solves crimes. Handsome's knack for solving mysteries is matched only by his inability to make sense of his own problems. So basically, we have this really lonely L.A. police detective who is just muddling through life just by himself with his cute-ass dog, and he's just being a homicide detective. Now, before we get into this, tell me... Well, I guess I can ask you a question. What do you think? But, Um, before you tell me what you think... Okay. You said to me when we were watching this, this feels a lot like... What did I say? You remember what you said? No. You said this feels like a high school play. Yes, it does feel and like a high school And it 1,000% does, and that's what makes this movie so good. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it, but I did. I had a little play when I was in high school. Murder in the House of Horrors! Yes. <laughs> and it was about... I did a little theater. Yeah, it was a murder mystery that took place in a museum... Um, I played Lorenda Westbrook. I was a patron <laughs> of the museum. Anyway, uh, this reminded me of it from, from the beginning. And it's not because it's a murder mystery that takes place in a museum or anything. It's just a normal dark comedy mystery thriller type movie. I don't even want to say it's a thriller because it's not. They they tell you who the killer is in the opening scene. He introduces the film. Yeah, which was really great. Um... But seeing how that progresses was awesome. Yeah, because I, there were a couple times I was like, he, that's, that's BS, he didn't do it, this is who did it. But anyway, um, it does, it feels, it feels like a high school musical play type of thing, and I think it's just the style of comedy that it is. Um, Jeff Garland wrote it, I believe, and he directed it, and he's in it. And he was great. I love him. I think he's a great actor. He ple- He's the dad in the Goldbergs. And that's really all I know him from. But he's... he. I read an interview with him when I was looking up this movie before the podcast. And it was about knowing your audience, especially as a comedian. And he said, if you try to make something that everyone likes, it's going to flop. So... He's like, I don't know who my audience is, but I I made this, and I'm terribly paraphrasing him right now, but he just was saying, like, you have to just cater to an audience. You don't have to make it something that everybody's going to enjoy or it's going to suck. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I agree. Big Jeff Garland fan. 
Mm-hmm. He's in a whole lot of stuff. He's a great dad. Curb your enthusiasm. Yeah, he's the dad in the Goldbergs. Yeah, I said that. Oh, did you? Yeah. My bad. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, Natasha just... Lyons is in it. She plays his um, partner in crime. His buddy cop. Who Who is the murderer? What's his name? Oh, uh, that's a good old. I know his name. I can't think of it right now. Son of a bitch. He's not even listed here. His name's Stephen. Wow, this is terrible. What is he in? Oh, he's in everything. Exactly. He's in every. He's one of those guys. Fuck. What's his name? He, why is he not at the top of the... Well, he's not in it very much. I mean... Stephen Weber. Yeah. What's, what's Stephen what's, Weber yeah. in? It? We should he call this podcast IMDb. The, he has one of the most familiar faces. Well, he was in Wings, which is like the big one. But what recently has he been in? Is he in Batman? Uh, he voices Alfred. No, but is he the bad guy in Batman? No, he just voices Alfred. Oh my god, he was in 13 Reasons Why. iZombie. He's Von Clark. That's why. He's from iZombie. <laughs> ah, that's what it was. Okay. Yeah, Stephen Weber plays the, the quote-unquote bad guy. He plays the bad guy in everything. But, oh my god, his interaction with Jeff Garland is the funniest shit. Yeah. His character's so funny. Yeah, and, um... What's really cool about this movie is, though, it's about a homicide detective. There's no gore in it. There's no blood. You see a a head, but it's, like, not bloody or anything. It's just... That's it. There's no blood. There's no gore. It's just focuses about the comedy and And the mystery aspect. it's so colorful. Like, it really feels like a stage play. Yeah. Um, In the same sense that A Series of Unfortunate Events did. Yes. And that it's very colorful, but still kind of, like monochromatic in a way yeah um it's it's so well done and the no gore was an interesting choice that made me more invested in the story you know what i mean the story of it all was great um there are just some really great characters in it um he has it looks like he's teaching a bunch of other detectives they're hilarious um (laughs) natasha lyons is this like stereotypical like female like uh femdom type of thing his next door neighbor is the single mom who he has the hots for now, but she j- just thinks of him as the nice guy next door. The mom has this daughter, Karis, who is just quite a character. And she is... Um, the mom or Karis? Karis, Ava Akers, is in something. I know her from something, but but keep going. Um, and then, like, he has this private detective on the other side of him who used to be his friend, and he's banging uh, Leah Remy, and she plays this girl who's really into the accordion i don't know there's this like there's a bunch of great characters in this and they all add up to like this really cool story and while like a lot of the jokes don't make you laugh out loud they're really clever jokes and like they're funny in their own way and they kind of make you chuckle and it's pretty good yeah a hundred percent it's very unique and i love it and i would like to see more of these i don't even know how to like categorize them but like I don't know, like... Well, I think there's a stigma about things being released directly to TV or DVD or just for Netflix, and Netflix is totally changing the game with that, and Hulu, like The Handmaiden's Tale, Hulu made that just for Hulu, Netflix has a lot of only Netflix things, Amazon, HBO, they have a lot of... Well, HBO's different because it's a TV channel too, but there's a lot of these online things are changing the way people think about direct releases because you think oh it was released directly to dvd that means it's terrible but just because something was 
made for Netflix or made for Hulu or whatever doesn't mean that it's bad. I just think that people are realizing that you can reach a better audience that way, like Jeff Garland was saying. Like, if you are trying to make something for the movie theater, you have to figure in all these different audiences. But if you're making something for Netflix, you have a little bit more artistic liberty, I would think. Um, Netflix is buying it outright, or in the case of them producing something like Orange is the New Black, obviously they have, like, creative interest in it, but I think you have a lot more liberties to do what you want, and it's not as risky. There's not as much money going into marketing. They do, like, some stuff on the app when you open it up when they release something new, but I think that when you're releasing directly to Netflix, you have a lot more chances to make what you want to make and have it be what you want to be and truer to your intended purpose, and then it, it comes across better to the audience that you want it to come across to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, big fan overall. I mean, yeah. I, I would like to continue seeing more of these. It seems like it missed the mark for a lot of people. They didn't realize that it was kind of like a stage play in a sense. Yeah. Um, but then again, people are stupid. I mean, if you did. Oh, uh, well, know. it's not really slapstick comedy. It's It's more of a darker humor, kind of. I don't know how to describe it because I don't I don't classify it as black comedy and I don't classify it as slapstick. The it's only just... way I can describe it in my head is think about a movie Jeff Garland would make. Yeah. And you're like, okay. Like, I don't know. Well, people, people are wanting so much cheap, like, shots in their comedy lately. And I think if it's not something that you're like, oh, yeah, that's offensive, it's going to make me laugh, or, yeah, that's a real lowbrow humor type of thing, people don't get it and they don't appreciate it. I guess that's just yeah. generalizing people, though. Like, it doesn't have to make you laugh out loud to for it to be funny. Yeah, just just like an overall kind of the whole concept is weird. You know, the whole the whole he drives a weird ass car. Like everything about it is funny. The whole from start to finish, the whole thing is, is funny. Yeah, how it's filmed, the color, the actors, the concept, everything is good, um, and it's unique, and I like it. Uh, so it's got a five point six out of ten on IMDb. And it seems like it's only getting higher scores. It, um, it's it's getting more popular, Yeah, obviously. I mean, it's only been out for two days exactly. for this. So, what do you think? And what are you going to put a score on it? Um, I don't know. It's growing in popularity per the IMDb page. IMDb page. It says that it's up 2,400 mm-hmm. users. Is that what that means? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's more people are being exposed to it. I would give it... A five and a half out of, or six out of ten with it. I mean, it's really funny. It's really great. I, I wouldn't watch it again, but I don't watch a lot of things again, so I don't ever want to give, like, movies like that above a six. But I think it earns a six. I think it's it really earns a, good. I think it earns a fair six. Absolutely. It's unique, and it's fun, and I think it's one of those things where you've got to tell people, like, have you seen this? Because, like, I know you're not going to watch it unless I tell you you need to watch it. It feels yeah. like something like that. But it's on Netflix. You all have Netflix. I really, really think you should check it out and tell other people about it. Yeah. Because I really like it. So, last but certainly not least, let's talk about a cult classic. All right. Okay. Rowdy Roddy Piper starred in They Live. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, They Live was a 94-minute action horror When you talk about sci-fi. movies, you talk about it in present tense. 
they live is. I mean, what it, it was made as. Uh, but, I when, but, I guess but when it, you write when you write papers, you and talk about books and movies and TV shows, you talk about it in present tense because it still exists. Yeah, I guess. They live is. Okay. Anyway, uh, it's an action horror sci-fi from 1988, um, and it basically focuses around a drifter who is Rowdy Roddy Piper from wrestling, obviously. Um, he discovers a pair of sunglasses that allow him to wake up to the fact that America has been taken over by aliens. Not just America, but the whole planet Earth. Yes, yes, it spreads. So, this is a cult classic. Yeah. This is a big deal. Uh-huh. Old, obviously, but unique. You know, it really defined the I sci-fi genre. It's more relevant than ever now. What do you think? I think it's more relevant than ever right now. Yes. Um, this movie is really subversive and it's such a great take on communism and the reagan era that i think that we could put it back on today again going off of death race 2050 i think it's more important now than it ever has been um since its creation at least with this in terms of communism and just blindly following what the media tells you to do and following just following the crowd, just purely on the fact of following the crowd. And I think there's a lot of the subversive messages that we get from They Live are still 100% accurate today. And John Carpenter did a really good job of not hiding the message of the movie, but coding it in a way that was really fun to watch with, like, a good action story behind it, but it still gave you the message right there in front of you. Yeah, I, I mean, you kind of sunk the nail on that one. I don't really have a whole lot to add um, from that perspective. Um, it's really, really cool to see Rowdy Roddy Piper in this role. Um, back in 88, you know, he was on top of the world in entertainment. Um, this movie also has the famous line, I'm here to chew gu- bubblegum and kick ass and I'm all out of bubblegum, mm-hmm. which was apparently ad-libbed. That wasn't supposed to happen. Um, that was one of his lines he was going to pull in an interview. And that's one of the most iconic, like, lines in film, yeah, I think. Yeah, it's, it's probably... It's, it's ripped off in everything. It's got to be in top ten, for yeah, sure, Yeah, I mean, they, they did it in the IT crowd, so, you know... Yeah, it's in everything. Um, and interestingly, Roddy's character actually doesn't have a name throughout this whole thing. Hmm. And I think that's why it's kind of stood the test of time and become this cult thing that you can look to as you being that character. You know... Every, yeah. You can see yourself making these same choices and not just following the sheeple as it, as it may be. And what's, I think John Carpenter is fascinating because there's this, okay, so he, he puts out Halloween, doesn't really care for the genre, but he puts out Halloween, totally revitalizes the horror genre, doesn't give a shit. Um, <laughs> John Carpenter is, is a very, very interesting man. Then, you know, he, he goes along and he, like, turns into this, like, complete, like, paranoid type person. And They Live was his response to that, is what I understand, is that They Live is John Carpenter's response to everything that happened to him f- yeah. from the moment he became famous, right? Supposedly, it, it's... There's no way to know if that's really true, yeah. but supposedly, yeah, they live was his like um, his response to being uncomfortable with, with everything. Yeah. You know, he he was an artist. He wasn't in it for the sake of money or or anything really. He he was 
thoroughly just an artist and a filmmaker. Yeah. Did you know, I didn't realize this, but, like, a couple of months ago, um, neo-Nazis were starting to say that they live is a message against Jewish people. And John Carpenter tweeted something about uh, how it's about yuppies and communism. It's not about, it's not anti, it's not like anti-Jewish propaganda. It's about communism and, like, totally called people out on it. Yeah, John Carpenter still is a badass. Like, he's old as hell. He was born in 48. So, I'm not going to do the math. What does that make him? 70? I don't know. Almost 70, I think. Um, But, like, dude doesn't give a fuck about anything. He, he shut down those neo-nazis and let's think about all the iconic films he's done he did the thing mm-hmm. he did halloween he did they live escape from new york i mean yeah escape from la you could scroll down his imdb page and get bored before you've seen everything because yeah. he's worked on so much legendary stuff not only as a director or writer or producer he's one of the tent poles in the industry and i think they live is just another one of those under his umbrella core movies that made him who he is yeah you know what i i don't so this movie's right it's about communism right so then there's the obey message from it yes um and then it's the andre the giant obey that shepherd fairy did who is a street artist yes and that's been totally commercialized so it's kind of ironic that this movie that's about not following mainstream and it's totally against communism and mainstream media and propaganda has now this message of obey has actually been turned into what he's sort and, of talking about and in the what's, movie. what's even funnier is that shepherd fairy's obey art was street art and then it became very high-end expensive art and now obey which is shepherd fairy has partnered with supreme <laughs> which is the $3,000 for a hoodie clothing line that, that rich skater kids wear. I don't really yeah. get it. Um, but now Supreme and Obey have this super, super, you know, hyper-inflated, fake-obscurity-driven market that is kind of a, a joke on what this whole film is about. Yeah. It's about it goes s- full circle. Securing wealth based on agreeing to some nonsensical, you know, bullshit basically yeah it is just so interesting um it is on hbo i really think you should watch it because the blu-ray is like 30 dollars to get i think john carpenter may not know but his production company sure as hell knows his films are classics and they can charge around the lake for him and there's nothing we'll do about it so i think you should check it out on hbo while you can because it is iconic and legendary it stands the the Hundred percent. What am I trying to say? The test of time. The test of time. That's what I'm trying to say. It's really good. Like, um, the acting in it is pretty good, considering. I mean, the main character is a wrestler, so it's. They're some of the best actors, though. It's good acting. The storyline's good. It gets right into it. Um, The effects are pretty cool in it. So. Yeah, it's it's really good overall. I had a point I was going to say, and then I checked Roddy's IMDb page and remembered he died, and I got no, really I'm sad. sorry. Fuck. I don't remember what I was going to say. Anyway, it's really, really good, and I think you guys should check it out. So, let's wrap this up. It's got a 7.3 out of 10 on IMDb. I know what I'm going to give it. What are you going to give it, kiddo? 6.5. Really? Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it an 8. Okay. Just because I think it is probably one of the top 50. No, yeah, I was, 
I was going to give it a seven, but like literally five minutes ago, I said, if it's above a six, I'm not going to watch it again. I'm not, I'm probably never going to watch this movie yeah. again. I've seen basically the whole thing through GIFs online. So yeah. like, I don't need to watch it. Now I remember what I was going to say. The only doubt, the, the only bad part of this movie is the five minute and 22 second fight scene between oh, yeah, that was boring. Roddy and that other gentleman. It was only supposed to be a 20 second fight scene, but they didn't pull punches. They actually beat the shit out of each other. And Carpenter was so enthralled with it that he left it in. Because it's a real fight. Nice. So, it's pretty cool, you know. But that's that's really the only lull of the movie. And then now knowing that it's real, you're like, okay, fuck it. I would have left it in too. Like, it makes it yeah. interesting, you know. Um, but yeah, I'm going to give it an 8. You're giving it a 6.5? Yeah. So it averages out to still what we would consider a great movie. Yeah. In our rating system. So... I love it. Go check it out, guys. I think we talked about a lot of great things this week. Yeah. And before we head out of here, make sure to follow us on Twitter at WIT Show. Tweet questions, comments, concerns, or you can email those to WIT Show at email at Gmail. Hmm. Not, you know what the fuck I said. You know exactly what I said. So, with that being said, thank you guys so much for watching, listening. Jesus, I'm getting old. And we'll see you next week. It's been a long day. It's been a long day. <laughs>